0: Good morning, Christchurch. I'm going to try and pull three strands together uh, for this sermon, and I think they're all going to make sense. So the first one is we are starting today a new sermon series that we will be going through for the bulk of this summer around uh, the book Simply Christian by N.T. Wright. We've been talking about this for a few weeks, and you might have even picked up a copy of the book so that you could read along. So I have a little bit more to say about that in a moment. Secondly... Uh, The main thing that we're going to be talking about today out of that is relationships. So that's going to, if you're like, what's the header for today's sermon, you could just write the word relationship at the top of whatever notes you're taking, and that's going to cover most of what we're talking about. And then the third thing is today is Trinity Sunday. And you might have heard it in some of the hymns that we were singing. Uh, you might have noticed it in our collect for prayer. Um, but it's the reality of the God that we worship is that he is a three-in-one community. That's how he's revealed himself. And so all of these pieces are coming together today. And I think they'll, they'll all fit together um, as we get into the sermon a little bit. And I want to talk a little bit why this book, Simply Christian, why are we going through this? Why is this what we're doing this this summer? And first, I would say, um, there are times in your life where you just want to go back to the basics and just say, what are the essentials of the faith that it's good every once in a while to just um, maybe recalibrate and say what is the foundation upon which everything else is built? And there are a number of different books that are perhaps really good at doing that, Uh, this one, Simply Christian, does that. It says, let's go back to the basics um, and examine what's the foundation, the building, the platform of all Christianity. I think that's a really helpful way uh, from time to time, periodically, and maybe even this summer where we know a lot of people are traveling and in and out, this is a good time to just all of us look and say, this is what we believe. This is who we believe in. Um, And so we'll be following along Simply Christian to do that. Secondly, though, because I like the way especially N.T. Wright does this, we live and are increasingly in, as many of you know, a post-Christian society. And by that, what I mean is the majority of our society isn't familiar with words like redemption, or why it's necessary that Jesus died on the cross, or what's this whole business of the Spirit? What do you mean by the Spirit, and how is the Lord trying to work? Like These aren't categories that most of our culture is interacting with. Instead, though, and where N.T. Wright starts is he says we all have these longings. We all have deep longings for justice or beauty or relationships or spirituality. Let's start at that point around some of these universal longings and from there move forward. So I want to put an outline of even how the, the summer series is going to go. This is the breakdown, an outline of his book, And it's pretty much how we'll follow things. Echoes of a voice is the first part. It's these longings that we all experience. And you know, it's interesting. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week. Um, If you just look at the data for Gen Z, the generation coming up, I think born in 1997 and Ford, they are very open to spirituality, like radically open to spirituality. But the starting point is not the Bible or necessarily Christianity, but just an openness to there's something, someone out there. So, right starts with these places. We have these starting points of human experience in beauty, relationship, justice, spirituality. And then he moves to, in the second section, he calls staring at the sun. He says, there's something, though, about the Christian story that is so unique. It's like, you can't look at the sun, obviously, but by the sun, it shines light on everything else. And he says, so when we get to the story of Christianity and we start talking about the God, the creator God... Who has this enters into this relationship with Israel and then sends his son Jesus Christ and then empowers the church through his Holy Spirit, it starts to make sense of everything else. This powerful story that we today are still living into and a part of, which goes to that third part, reflecting the image, which is how do we come participants in God's mission? We're not on mission. We God is on a mission to redeem things, to redeem all that has been broken, all that has been lost, to restore everything. And we get to participate in that. So this is kind of the outline of the summer. It's why we're going through it. I love the way he categorizes these things. And with this summer preaching series, Um, We'll also have a Wednesday night group that meets, and you've heard us talking about this. There'll be a Wednesday night group, meets at 7 o'clock in the evenings in the parish hall, and it'll go for an hour and a half, and it'll deep dive into what we talk about today. So today, we're going to get into the Trinity. And... um, That's always just like a really comfortable thing as a a preacher, right? We're talking about the Trinity today, and you might want to have more time where you're like, we didn't go deep enough, and so show up on Wednesday, and there will be time to go deeper with teaching and discussion and then table fellowship. It's one of those things you can drop in on a week. If you're traveling the next week, you can't make it. That's okay. And then there's childcare, of course, if you need it. All right, let's pray and invite the Lord to speak to our hearts today. Holy Father, you inspired all scripture to be written. All ideas are ultimately, all ideas about you ultimately come from you, God. So as we enter into this first echo of a voice relationship, and then as we speak about you, the Holy Trinity, would you speak to each of our hearts, meeting us in the places where each of us needs to hear your voice to us? We ask and pray in your name, Jesus. Amen? All right, so echoes of a voice. There are different longings we all have. The first longing, longing for relationship. And when I say relationship, I'm using the biggest categorical word I can possibly use. I don't mean husband and wife. I don't mean uh, just friends. I mean like all forms of relationship. Let's just talk about that longing of relationship. And I want to start with doing a survey of the beauty of relationships. And then we'll talk a little bit maybe about some of the pain of relationships as well. But on one level, we know that we were made for relationships. Like we find our best selves in friendship or in marriage relationship or in um, just camaraderie with others. There's something about being with others that, have you ever been in a group of friends and there's just a mixture, like they bring out a better version of you. You're like, I'm not usually this funny, but there's something about being with these people. Like I'm a, it, it makes me better. I'm not usually this generous, but being around these people makes me more like them. Like it brings out the best version of yourself. We know we're happiest when we're in good relationship with others. Some, think of some of those friends you love to be around. Those friends that when they show up, like you just you feel better about yourself. And after you've hung out with them, you walk away thinking, gosh, I want to get back and be with them a little bit more. Think about, have you ever been in one of those conversations and you look at your watch and you're like, oh my gosh, it's one in the morning. And how did we get? We just kept talking, and there was something just fun, and there was a, a kind of an energy and a charisma that that was happening here. Like some of my favorite conversations are those ones that happen after midnight, where everyone just starts to let their guard down and finally start talking about what they really think and feel. And you realize like there are other people like me, and I want to be a part of friendships like these. Think of marriages. Husbands and wives, and maybe a lifetime of loving one another, not just putting up with each other, but loving one another. You know, we do that thing every week where we pray a blessing up here. We'll do it later in the service on anyone who's celebrating a marriage anniversary. And rightfully, very often, someone will say a number we've been married 10 years, or 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and all of us start cheering. Because we recognize that doesn't just mean that you put up with one another for 50 years, but that you chose intentionally to grow in this marriage, and we celebrate that. We're excited for you. Think of one of those moments at work when a coworker starts to become a friend, and you start looking forward to going to work, not just for the work that you're doing, but because of the friendship with this person. Think of a moment where you have gone through a conflict with someone, and you forged a deeper friendship because of the conflict, and you come out stronger in the relationship. And we kept saying the content, we didn't have a speaker, the content is the relationships. You're going to be in groups of men with other people whose faces you've seen before, but you're going to get to know their names, you're going to hear their stories, you're going to entrust yourself to them. We're going to practice relationship. That's the goal. There's a beauty that we have for relationships, a longing that we all have to be a part of healthy and whole relationships. And just as there's a longing into relationship, there's also a pain in the world we live in now in relationships. So there's a, another side to relationships as well. Relationships can often be a tangle of complications. Some parts good, other parts bad. So speaking of men and the men's retreat, if you want to watch an adult male get emotional, Ask him about his relationship with his father. doesn't matter how old he is. He might respond with sadness, anger, remorse, joy perhaps, but he won't be indifferent. Marriages, we're speaking about them, even the best marriages that start on solid ground sometimes do fall apart. Things do happen. Not only divorce, but sometimes there is just drifting apart, and you feel like we're just sharing space together. We're not actually connecting anymore in this marriage. Friendships do change and evolve through the years, and those who were once close and you thought you were going to do everything together, someone moves away, or someone just grows as a person, and maybe you don't grow the same direction. Or sometimes what happens, there's someone that the two of you are very close, and then a third party comes in, and at first you're eager, but then that starts to change the dynamic, and you're trying to wonder, what happened here, and how come I'm suddenly on the outside of this new group that's forming, and I I almost feel a jealousy to be back in how things were, but I don't even, I don't know who my friends are anymore. You find yourself wondering what happened. This category of friendship is in need of serious repair in all of our society, or in in our society right now, and at every level, we're hearing from different folks this sense of longing for friendship and acknowledgement. We're just not there. Like, we all are longing for relationships, and I'm not talking to many people who feel like they're getting what they're longing for. You know, like, every, I think everyone is saying in some way, I wish I had more time with these people. This is pretty interesting, but about a month ago, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, they released an article, and in it, the Surgeon General said, I want to raise the alarm. Like, I know we've had a COVID pandemic, but I want to raise the alarm on an epidemic of loneliness affecting all Americans right now. Some other data we'll put up on the screen that that I found recently. Today, 15% of young men say they don't simply have a close friend. You compare that to 3% in the 1990s, and that's been a five-fold increase in the past 30 years. For women, coming out of the pandemic, women have been uniquely affected. If we'll go to the next slide. More than half of all women, 18 and up, report that they've lost touch with at least some of their friends. So coming out of the pandemic, women are saying, at least some of my friends, somehow in the past few years, we've lost touch with one another. One researcher at the American Enterprise Institute says that as he surveys the landscape of American life, we are in a friendship recession. And there's many reasons, and people talk about what are the reasons for this. We can cite different things. We can say there's changing neighborhood plans and the loss of a city center that binds us together. We might say competitive job markets that move us around, technology distracting us. We could say the pandemic, something external that affected us all. And I even wonder if some of the polarization we feel in society right now isn't perhaps directly tied to the fact that there's a shrinking circle of relationships and wholeness that all of us have in our lives. Whatever the loss, the reasons for the loss of friendship, it doesn't change the fact we still desire connection. We still desire being known by others in friendship, and marriage, parents, families, coworkers, com- comrades, just all of the different ways we might associate with people. There can even be a sense of shame and fear in admitting, I want friends, because it puts you in a vulnerable spot saying, maybe there's something wrong with me. But that longing that all of us share is so deep. And all of this points to the situation in the world where, on the one hand, we long for relationships, for healthy, whole, vibrant relationships where we're our best self showing up with others. And yet, we're often a part of relationships where we've either sabotaged ourselves or things have happened that we can't control, and we aren't fulfilling this relational need that we so deeply desire. So how do we make sense of this? How do we make sense of this longing? And there's one story, one thought, is that maybe humans have just evolved as social creatures, Like maybe, you know, we're just meant to be these social beings and different animals have evolved and so maybe there's like the bees who have their colony and there's whales that have their pods and there's wolves and they've got their little pack or whatever. And maybe humans are like that, that this is just one way that evolution has helped us to pass along genetic information to the uh, the next generation of people. And I say, that okay, fair, maybe that's one idea of how that happens, but if I push too far down that route, I find myself thinking that if that's the case, then the love I feel for my wife or the love I feel for my children is nothing more than just my genes wanting to replicate themselves. And maybe that the care I feel for you as a congregation, as one of your pastors, is only just kind of a herd instinct to make sure that we all get along and can pass along our genes, All the songs about love and sacrifice, the movies, the stories that affect us most deeply, the laughter with friends, working through conflict to forge something deeper, maybe it's just a trick of our genetic code. And if that's the case, it feels a little cheap actually to think about that's all that is meant by our longing for relationships. And I think what Christianity wants to offer is actually a different story. It says maybe there's actually a different origin point for why we have these longings for relationship even though they're going unfulfilled right now. And what Christianity wants to offer is this that what if our longings for relationship our deepest longings for companionship and for life with others are actually an echo of the way things are supposed to be? And what if we were designed by what if we were designed as relational beings by a God who is himself relational? And that's where I want to pull in this other strand of the doctrine of the Trinity, that today is Trinity Sunday. And I think to answer that question, it makes sense to believe that we have a Trinitarian God. And you might be wondering, like, how are you going to get from Trinity to relationships? But I would say they are so closely related. This is the story that makes sense of why you crave relationships so deeply. Christianity, of all the world religions, and of all the worldviews out there, alone teaches This doctrine of the Trinity that God himself is intrinsically relational. He, in his very nature, apart from anything he ever makes or does, is a community of one. He is a relational God. Let me explain where we see this in Scripture and then how we might think of it. In our readings today, we heard language about the Trinity in two places. At the end of Matthew's Gospel... Jesus has assembled all the disciples, and he has them on a mountain, and he's about to commission them, and he's about to send them into the world. He's going to ascend. The Holy Spirit's going to come down, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, and therefore, I'm sending you to go out into all the nations and to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. On equal footing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to baptize them in the name of the one God. And by the one God, I mean the God who defines himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. We see this at the end of Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians. One of the very last things that he writes to them says this, that may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Again, we see this equality of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all on the same plane. And it's not as if Paul or Jesus were believing in three different gods. They are radically monotheistic. What they're trying to impress upon us is the way that we understand the one God is he is in an eternal community of one, and he's revealed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit in this mutual life together. One other way of thinking about this is, at the very beginning of Christianity, there was a belief that this one God was somehow supra-personal, super-personal. And what I mean by that, um, when we, let, let's think about this, when you meet a human who's like kind and warm and hospitable and gracious and easy to get along with, you, know, you might say of them like, they're a real personable person. They have this kind of welcoming, open personality. So we use that as a baseline. Humans can be personable. If you go under humans to the animal kingdom, we might call animals subhuman. And what I mean by that is we don't look at animals and like a butterfly. We say, Oh, there's a butterfly, and it's really beautiful and cute, and it's look at it flying around and, and going to all the different purple flowers. That's wonderful, but we don't that doesn't say anything, it doesn't reveal a personality about the butterfly. We do think as some of the animals go higher up the food chain, um, we we start to notice almost like a little trace of personality. So we bring pets into our home. And have you ever seen like maybe a a pet owner and a pet who have lived together for a number of years and they they just start kind of looking like one another a little bit? There's just like, I see some resemblance. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, my dog. If you were to see, you know, side by side, we kind of look a lot alike. Or there's this thing that happens with some of the higher animals. We bring them into our family, and what do we do? They're subpersonal, humans are personal, and we raise them up so that they actually do become more like us, which explains why we grieve so much when they die. It's because they've been welcomed up, they've been raised up, they've been lifted up. They're still subpersonal, but they they have this kind of personality. Okay. So you go from the animals, you go to us, and then you go to God Himself. He's supra personal, he is tripersonal. He is more personable, and what he does is when we're in relationship with him, he raises us up to become more like him, more like who he is intrinsically Is this other-directed, relationally God of love. That is what is meant by the Trinity, that God is forever relational in and of himself, a a supra-personal community of one. And you might be wondering, um, how are we supposed to think about the Trinity? And I want to suggest that the best way to think about the Trinity is to stick to the scriptural language: Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the best way um, because it's what the, the Bible reveals for how we are to understand who this triune God is. But you still want to think like I just I want categories for how might I think about it, and so. Christian thinkers throughout the years have offered different ways of conceiving of the the triune life. I want to offer one. I've I've shared this before. But to me, it makes a lot of sense for understanding this three-in-one, one God. And um, I know I've shared before at our wedding, my wife, her family is Greek, and there's one of those Greek dances. And you maybe have seen a Greek dance before, a Greek wedding before, maybe you've seen like a a Jewish wedding or even just some of the the Mediterranean-style weddings where you get everyone in a village like in a circle, and there's this like rhythmic dancing all together where there's this like pulsating energy of everyone doing this one dance, but also individual members around the dance itself. There's something about that that the early church was saying, we kind of think our gods like this, that there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit in this eternal dance of one, but they're all focused on the other, the Father loving the Son, the Son receiving the love, loving back the Father, the Spirit kind of between them, and there's this inner dance, this inner life of the Trinity just happening, existing, of focusing, glorifying, serving the other. C.S. Lewis writes about this analogy of the dance and the triune God, and he says it this way. In Christianity, God is not an impersonal thing nor a static thing, right? He's he's not like an impersonal statue. He's not just static, monolithic, not even just one person. Remember, he's supra-personal, but God is a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance, The pattern of this three-personal life is the great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. The Trinity means that God is, in essence, relational. Like before he made you, he was in relationship. Which gets to the next point, which is so critical to understand. Christianity, of all the worldviews and viewpoints, because God is Trinity, can also say, God is love. God is Trinity also means God is love. And so think about it this way. If God were, if he were just oneness, just total oneness, before creation, and when he makes creation, he can become, he's all-powerful, he's sovereign, he's the ruler, he has all authority, all that is true, but he hasn't eternally been all love because it's just him. But if God is three in one, when you think about the way love works, love always takes lover and beloved. someone to sh- And there's sharing of the love. And you know the best love always brings more life out. Like between husband and wife, you'll see life coming forward in child. Or between two friends who really like just geek out on something, they start inviting other people into it. Like there's this outflowing energy that happens in love. And what we see is from all creation, before God made the world, he didn't make it out of need, like I'm making it to satisfy my relational needs. He himself was relationally full, and he makes the world out of love because he's forever Father, Son, and Holy Spirit been in love with himself, glorifying himself. So he's able to make this world because he loves to, because he chooses to, because he wants to. Not because he needs any subjects to bow down to him. We bow down and honor him because as his subjects. We, we love him and we give him worth. And he lifts us up and doesn't call us his subjects anymore. What does he call us? Very like our first readers, you are just a socially evolved being to keep your genome going. That's one narrative. Here's another one. Genesis 1, God created you in his own image. In the image of God, he created you. Male and female, he created you. He created you in his image to be a relational reflection of him in the world, to bring wholeness and healing, to be in relationship with creator and then in relationship with others and then in relationship with creation by caring for creation. The desires you have for relational wholeness are an echo of how you were made by a relational God. And you cannot escape relationship in this world. And I want to um, probably just close with a, a real easy, like, so what? Like, so how, how does this make sense? And like, what are we supposed to do with this kind of thinking? And I would start and I would just say, I think culture at large wants healthy relationships. Like when I think of Austin, I think Austinites want healthy relationships. I think that they want to know, how do I become in healthy relationships And I wonder, what if the church, like what if the trademark of what we're known for was that in the community of these people, you will find some relational healing? And I think this is what Jesus offers when he teaches us to love our enemies and to forgive those who hurt us. And I just wonder, like, what if the church was known as this is a place of relational wholeness? This is the place that whenever you need forgiveness, you can go and ask these people, and they are the ones who are really quick to forgive you. They're the ones who will work through the conflict with you. They won't erase it. They won't say it didn't happen. It didn't matter. They'll work through it. They'll go through it with you, and you can rest assured they'll forgive you. And they're also the type of people who are humble enough to say when they've done something wrong, can I be forgiven? Like they just they're, they're, There's a community here that's willing to say, I'm so secure in my relationship with the Father that it's easy for me to forgive others and to ask for forgiveness when I need to. And I imagine what if the church led in relational wholeness, we'd be the type of place where when someone is going through the throes of a mental health challenge, whether anxiety that's just like spinning you out of control or depression where you're not feeling anything or perhaps even hearing voices, what often happens in moments like that is there's a separation between friends or family because how do we help? How do we be with you? And what if the church was a community of people that just said, we will stick to you. We will not let you live alone through this moment. It's part of the relational wholeness. We are committed to you. In fact, I think maybe that's the way we could describe the church. The church is a community of people under the rule of Jesus Christ who are committed to one another. And so therefore form a new family, and new network of relational connection. Perhaps maybe the best way to summarize what I'm describing is this, that what if the primary measurement you use for your life to describe if you're successful or if you're winning Or if you feel good about your life, whatever category you're trying to use, what if the primary metric was to look and to say, how are my relationships? Is there anyone I'm estranged from? Is there anyone that I need to do work with? Lord, is there anyone that I need to forgive? Like, what if the metric of the success of your life you measured somehow in relationships and not in any other category? This was the lead category for understanding how good and healthy your life is. I just wonder what that might do uh, to a community and to the surrounding neighborhoods of a church community that lived like that. I believe this is the way we are called to live, a relational God who has made us and calls us into relationship with him, and then we are called into relationship, whole relationships with others. Believe that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.